Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Go ahead and turn uh, to Acts chapter 13, and uh, we're going to read just the first three verses in a few moments, but um, one of the teachings that have greatly benefited Christians in the last 50 years is Henry Blackaby's uh, Experiencing God. A lot of uh, people at churches actually went through that together. I led a couple groups once upon a time. I haven't led one here at the Tabernacle, but it's good material. And uh, it's taken from his own study of the Bible, and he emphasized seven realities of experiencing God. And let's take a moment or two to go over them. Turn to the back of your notes, and you go, oh, look at all them fill-in-the-blanks. So I'm going to work you real hard on the fill-in-the-blanks here for the next five minutes or so, and then when we get into the message, uh, you uh, won't have to work as hard. But these are all just wonderful things to reflect on, and I certainly have incorporated them into my ministry over the years, and uh, some of these principles really just helped uh, you know, many, many a church uh, take things to another level in thinking about missions all over the place. And of course, that's what the book of Acts is about, you know, being salt and light everywhere they went. The first principle is that God is always at work around you. Uh, we just had a testimony of that, you know, uh, God is at work. Um, around us. He is doing things. He's doing things on the other side of the world. He's doing things around here. He's doing things in our hearts. He's doing things in the lives of our neighbors. Uh, John says that uh, uh, Jesus said in John's gospel, John 16, the Holy Spirit when he comes will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. So his presence is there and convicting and drawing people uh, to consider the claims of Christ. The second truth that Blackaby emphasized is uh, God pursues a love relationship with you that is real and personal. So before he wants to do things through you or through us, he wants to do things in me and in us as individuals. Uh, you know, uh, my goodness, it's going to be so great to walk with Jesus, you know, on the new earth one day. Um, you know, but... Uh, we can have a foretaste of heaven and later new earth by uh, our relationship with him now. Um, and, you know, when a husband and wife try to communicate their love to each other, they use words like, I love you, and they spend time together. And we spend time with God and his word. We say, I love you. We feel him, his words of affirmation and love with us when we realize, like from Ephesians 1, that we're adopted, we're chosen we're forgiven, we're accepted, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. I mean, these are the kind of things that make us feel close to Him. So the third thing is that God invites you to join Him in what He's doing. So He's at work in the church, in uh, sub-levels of the church, like a Sunday school class or a ministry, through God's pit crew, through walking at the mall, you know, different things. He's, he's working. He's working in another's life. He's working in your life. And so um, I don't know about how you guys feel, but when I love someone and I love something and I meet somebody that I, I, I picture being a friend with, man, I like to introduce them to the things I like and the ones I like and love, right? Uh, and God is like that too. He's like, well, golly, you know, uh, 
I love Wesley and I love Harry. Let's bring Wesley and Harry together in the Lord, you know, and that sort of thing. So he invites us to join him in what he's doing. Well, the uh, fourth one is God speaks to us to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. So when we look into his word and he speaks to us, we're going to know more of him. We're going to know more of his purposes for our lives. We're going to learn more about his ways. Um, And uh, all that is there to bless us, but to also draw us closer in that relationship that he's building and so that he can move uh, the people that he is in mind for a task into place, you know, uh, what, what did Jesus say? Pray that the Lord of the har- pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send out workers into the harvest, right? And so as we think about God and a task, you know, the, sometimes the nursery needs more workers. Oh, the, here's a person God's been working in. There might be a new worker for the nursery or for other ministries in the life of the church. I believe even now um, he's uh, working to get people here for Bible school, you know. One thing we've learned during COVID is whenever we start something back, usually it's about a third of previous attendance, uh, and it builds up from there, you know. And, um, you know, we've certainly seen that with many of the ministries of the church. Some things never recover. Bible school, I think we're around 100 now. Uh, you know, we can have three or 400 for Bible school. So pray that if the Lord wants us to have a few more here for it, it'll come around, you know. Uh, well, how does he speak? He speaks through the Holy Spirit, He speaks through the Bible. You might have anticipated some of these. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through circumstances. And he speaks through other believers. He speaks through other believers. So, um, of course, we know he speaks through the Bible. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit will take a Bible verse and bring it to where it's needed at just the right time. Uh, And, of course, we pray about things. And we pray for God to do what? Open and close doors. And um, sometimes we pray about something and the circumstance is an absolutely closed door. God has answered our prayer. He said no. And we're thankful for that guidance. Whenever God says no, it's for a greater yes. Um, And we just have to trust that. doesn't seem like it in the moment sometimes, you know, but uh, circumstances, uh, oftentimes uh, we need to uh, yield to God when indeed he has uh, spoken and given us his answer. And through other believers. Now, we have to be careful because uh, sometimes people, uh, uh, <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll want us to follow their plan for our life, <laughs> you know. And so uh, we have to be careful that when people, um, uh, you know, that, that our fellow believers, when they say, I really feel like I should say this to you, <laughs> that it squares with the scriptures. And we know that there's an entire segment of the uh, Christian church that's gotten off track a little bit and loves to say stuff. And sometimes that impression doesn't really seem to be coming from the Lord, right? But, you know, we certainly uh, have many, many, many is the time I've been encouraged by what other believers have uh, said to me. The fifth one is God's initiative in your life will lead to a crisis of belief, a crisis of belief. We don't like crises, but there are times Um, where God is trying to get us to stop doing what we are doing and he has something else for us. And so we pray and we have a sense that an opportunity is closing for us. Uh, A door is closed. Circumstances aren't going our way with something. And, you know, uh, there comes the time where we have to say, yes, Lord, I'm in and I will uh, make, uh, I'll do the next thing that it says, number six, to join God in what he is doing, you must make adjustments. 
Obviously, if God gives a specific call to a family to go be missionary somewhere, there's going to be a crisis and adjustments, right? The crisis that leads to the yes, Lord, anyway, and adjustments as houses get sold and, you know, plans get made and all kinds of shots for that country you're going to, you know, and that sort of thing. And that's true for short-term assignments and long-term assignments. Um, but it's all short-term assignments compared to eternity. Amen. (laughs) And the seventh one is, as you trust and obey God, you can and will experience more of Him and His ways in your life. Think about, uh, Gary's here tonight, I think about, you know, him uh, retiring a little early, getting to that uh, adjustment that had to be made, saying yes, and, um, you know, all along the way, uh, as he's been on this adventure of faith and trust, uh, God has supplied, he's known God. You know, it's one thing to say, I know, God as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, but it's another thing to walk that life of faith and see it happen, you know. And to be able to look back and say, yes, God was leading. And I can do that now five and a half years into Danville. I'm looking back and saying, okay, all along the line, way we see the hand of the Lord and uh, the things, the reasons he wanted us here. And our faith has grown. uh, Our marriage has grown, Elizabeth and I, and uh, his ways in our lives. I think we both say we're closer to the Lord now and each other than we have been ever, you know, which is a good thing. And I took the time to go over those because today's passage shows this kind of thing happening at the church at Antioch. We know how key the church in Jerusalem was, but in chapter 13 we're introduced to, and and we were at the end of chapter 12, but in chapter 13 we're going to see this key church at Antioch uh, become part of really getting things going. So 2,000 years ago, now that you've hands back to normal writing for notes. 2,000 years ago, the church at Antioch was experiencing God as individuals and as a church. God invited them to join him in the next phase of his Acts 1-8 vision. They obeyed and God used them to extend his kingdom on earth. Now I said Acts 1-8. See if y'all can help me fill it in here. Jesus said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and what did he say next? Judea and Samaria, and then also to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the ends of the good. Y'all all got stars for the day there. Um, so today's passage is another kind of turning point in the book of Acts. The first 12 chapters, the focus was on Peter and the 12 and gospel expansion in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. From chapter 13 onward, the focus is on another man and his co-workers. Who's that man? Paul. Very good. So first 12 chapters more on Peter and the 12. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, chapter 13 onward, focuses on Paul and his co-workers and missionary expansion to the ends of the earth. So just three verses. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And the title of the message is Experiencing God in the Life of the Early Church. Okay, so in verse 1, we see different kinds of people come together in church leadership. 
different. So there's your fill in the blank. Different kinds of people come together in church leadership. Now we've already seen that the church in Antioch had lots of believers in it who had come from lots of different backgrounds. The same was true of their leaders. Uh, I was talking with Alan Payne today. He's got a great group going to uh, uh, Word of Life camp. I think 25 students go, and then that's, I think, before the adult chaperones and things. And uh, it's just a beautifully diverse group, you know. Uh, I was thinking about how the Lord has blessed us with so much uh, multi-ethnicity in our youth group and our children's ministry, and increasingly that will be true in our church, you know. Uh, the church in Antioch was in a multicultural city, and just all kinds of people from different backgrounds were coming together. And it was true among the people. It was also true among their leaders. And um, Barnabas is mentioned first. Perhaps because he'd taken on the role of the first among equals. We don't know. But we know that in each of these churches that get planted, and it was true back in Jerusalem, at first it was Peter and the twelve, and then it was the elders in Jerusalem. And who was the first among them? James, the brother of Jesus, right? So later Paul's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to present himself to James and the elders. So it is right for a church to have a plurality of male leadership with a first among equals. I guess I'm that here at the tabernacle, although thank the Lord he's the Lord of his own church, right? <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, so maybe Barnabas is mentioned first because he was serving that role. Um, in chapter 4, we had learned that he was a Jew from the tribe of Levi, and he was from the Mediterranean island of, do you remember the island? Cyprus. Cyprus, yeah, so he was a Cypriot. Um, by the way, who in the church do we have that uh, is from Cyprus? Daniel. Daniel de Therese. In fact, he served on the, you know, it's, Cyprus is divided up between the Greek side and the Turkish side. You don't want to get caught over on the Turkish side. That, that's, the, that's the trouble side, you know, uh, for uh, people. But um, uh, Daniel actually served in the uh, army uh, on the Cypriot side, which is pretty neat, you know, when his dad was a missionary there and he grew up on the island. Um, so next is mentioned Simeon, who is called Niger. Niger means black. And you may know there's a country in Africa named Niger. So a lot of commentators think Simeon was African. Next is mentioned Lucius the Cyrenian. Where is Cyrene located? It's in what would now be Libya in North Africa. So, I mean, man, the Roman Empire was sweeping around the Mediterranean Sea. These people in Antioch are from all over, including these places. Um, Acts 11.20, let us know the original evangelists in Antioch were from Cyprus and Cyrene. So maybe these guys were among them, and now they'd become the leaders. And perhaps Lucius was one of them. Next is mentioned Manian. I think that's how you say his name. He was a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, how about that? <laughs> All them Herods that caused so much trouble for John the Baptist. Back in Jerusalem, Herod, Herod had been responsible for beheading of James. Uh, and how about that? So Manian was uh, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. He was a close friend of him. Could have even been the way the words work out. Sometimes the words used to describe foster brothers or companions in education playmates. So Manian had grown up with the guy who later killed James the Apostle. Um, so God's grace in people's lives, right? Uh, pretty neat to think about. And last but not least, one of the leaders was Saul, a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin, but from Tarsus of Cilicia, which was what, in what we call Turkey. So wide variety of backgrounds and cities these people had been educated in and uh, different backgrounds. Um, 
So they not only had Jewish background leaders, but Gentile background leaders. Later, Paul will write in Ephesians about how God gifts the church with pastor teachers, and it appears these men were among those leaders. Um, so no doubt the church was better off for this uh, wonderful group of leaders. But if, um, if we could talk to those leaders, they would talk to us not about their differences, about what, about what brought them together, right? Their love for Jesus, their desire to make, take the message of salvation in Jesus' name to the ends of the earth. Uh, one of the reasons why I've loved going on mission trips, of course, I've loved serving God and getting to preach places and do different work, teaching pastors and encouraging and manual labor for church and Christians and things. But what's always neat is when you meet, and in the way Jimmy was just talking about this a little while ago, you know, but... Uh, meeting all these people from all these different backgrounds, and then they start to tell you their testimony. And they start to express their love for the Lord. And sometimes you'll be with them during worship, and they'll sing a hymn, and you know what they're singing. You just don't know the language they're singing it in. So they might be singing something like, How Great Thou Art, and you're singing it in English, and your hearts are just, man, we're worshiping the Lord together. You know, it's so neat when that happens, you know. And uh, so Jesus had brought this different group together. And that leads us to seeing a clear priority of the early church. The early church and its leaders had the same priority, prayer-based fellowship. So it says in verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke. He said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, we've been going through Acts long enough to know that uh, we can make this big observation, um, that the early Christians prayed all the time as individuals and in when they gathered with other believers. And that's why we're emphasizing the same thing here at the tabernacle. We probably have a long way to go before we get to what like they were doing in Acts and things. Uh, but, uh, you know, we pray in our staff meetings. We spend time listening. You know, when we gather in uh, uh, small groups, we do the same thing. The choir has a great uh, prayer time going. Uh, the um, people come, uh, you know, during the week, a male group, a female group, and, and you can join those and pray. Just really neat how that all goes on. But uh, we certainly can learn a lot more. And Jesus had so modeled prayer that his disciples had asked him to teach them to pray. And after his ascension to heaven, the book of Acts has shown us example after example of believers doing that very thing, gathering together uh, in prayer. In Acts 1, they were continually united in prayers. They awaited the Holy Spirit to fall on them. He did it the day of Pentecost, and the indwelling Holy Spirit gave them new energy in individual and corporate prayer. In Acts chapter 2, we learn that after the 3,000 were saved and baptized, we're told they regularly met together. Uh, and what did it say in Acts 2? What were the, some of the things they regularly did together as they gathered? They'd meet in fellowship. They'd meet for the apostles' teaching so that the apostles were clarifying for them all the key doctrinal teachings based on Jesus' completed work. They were uh, breaking bread, so they were eating meals together, and they were praying. And breaking bread, probably a reference to the times that they took the Lord's Supper together too. Um, in Acts 3, we learned that they had a regular hour of corporate prayer that John and Peter were on their way to when they were sidetracked by a ministry uh, opportunity. In fact, uh, they weren't necessarily sidetracked as the group was gathered praying, uh, one of the things they were probably praying for was that their members would get opportunities, and there's Peter and John meeting the guy and healing him. 
After the first persecution in Acts 4, we see Peter and John returning to fellowship with other believers, and it says they lifted up their voices together and prayed for boldness in their witness in the midst of their difficulties. And I like to always stop at a time like this and say, let me encourage you, if you're just not in the habit of praying out loud with other believers, uh, take the time to start doing it, you know. Um, as a pastor, I've been a connoisseur kind of of things that uh, growing believers do. And I'd say easily in the top five of things is praying out loud with other believers. Not in a showy way, but a heartfelt, unified way. And so let's do everything we can to get a little bit more of that. We're going to try to bring a little bit of that into the Sunday night times. Trying to try to close, close that time out each Sunday night with opportunities for just a little popcorn prayer. You know, times to pray together like that. Um, so it's a sign of sickness in the American church that fervent prayers individuals in the small groups and as the entire church is not emphasized. Far too often we depend on our own thinking and resources rather than the Holy Spirit. If we're going to experience God, that has to change. I think coming out of COVID, we know that, don't we? Because, I mean, uh, we've done everything we can do in our own strength. <laughs> you know, uh, we have, uh, we've changed the lights out to save money, you know. We have... Uh, Sent out all the invitations for something like Bible school. We've told people you can return and be a worker just like you were and all the different things. But folks, if the Lord doesn't build the house, we labor in vain that build it, right? And so we need uh, what can only come from heaven. And the key to unlocking heaven's riches, of course, is the time of prayer as individuals, as together also. Well, look again at verse 2. It tells us this team of leaders in Antioch was ministering to the Lord and fasting. And this fascinates me because the word for ministering in the Greek is the word liturgio that we get liturgy from. Now, we're not a liturgical church, but um, the uh, priests in the Old Testament would have been involved in liturgical worship. They had things that they were doing. And so the use of the word liturgy uh, would have brought to their mind the service of the tabernacle items that the priests and their helpers did. Um, and he brings that word in and says something is happening when we are praying to the Lord, when we're ministering to the Lord, we're serving the Lord in a worshipful way through prayer. And I think about that because usually when we think of the individual ministries we have in the church, we think of things like preaching or teaching or singing or being a behind-the-scenes worker. But here it says they were engaged in ministry unto the Lord. Um, and so, wow, this makes me think that whatever other ministries Christians have, we have a first ministry in our relationship with the Lord, that time with Him. It's so cool to think about. It was actually used in classical Greek to describe the service voluntarily rendered to the state. <laughs> Later it indicated the performing of services which the state required. And the, as I've already mentioned, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, used it of all the priestly functions that the priests performed in their ministry, particularly as mediators between God and men offering the sacrifices. So it's obvious the New Testament writers don't use it the same way when talking about leaders of the church, but they're making us think about something. Now that Christ the high priest has completed his work for us, we don't need priests as mediators of ongoing sacrifices. Instead, now we are all priests in the sense the New Testament has for us, and that is through our intercessory prayer. So 
Thank you for coming on these Wednesday nights. We get out this prayer list. We're thinking specifically about people with needs. We're trying to uh, you know, make sure we make it not just about physical needs, although that's important, but when we hear of spiritual needs and emotional needs and physical needs and marriage needs and missions needs and persecuted church needs and all those different things. And we are, we are ministering to the Lord as we lift those things up and then take it home and continue to do it uh, throughout the week. So thank you for your ministry of prayer. Now, uh, the, so committed were these leaders to the ministry of prayer that they added in fasting. And, uh, you know, we don't talk a lot about fasting in Baptist churches. One of the reasons is we see so many people get foolish as they talk about fasting, you know. Uh, some people talk about fasting as if you get it right, then they're almost acting like God's obligated to answer your prayer. Well, that's just hogwash. You know, you're just missing meals if that's if you're trying to manipulate God. You know, uh, so fasting is not only for super Christians, though. It's the practice of cutting ourselves off from our physical drive for food for a time. And what is what happens? It's in order to heighten. There's you fill in the blank to heighten our spiritual drive to know God and His purposes for our lives. Um, my own experience with fasting. And the Bible says don't advertise it a lot, so I don't advertise it a lot, you know. Uh, and, and you obviously know that fasting is not something that I'm so zealous about that I've wasted away <laughs> because I've got the tire, right? So, um, But I do fast, and um, I, I, I am convicted to fast. I'll tell you, uh, when um, I think I did tell you about a recent time where I spent some time in fasting for multiple weeks. In fact, uh, reminds me I need to do it again because it's going to happen any time now. But um, when um, the Supreme Court... Um, uh, thing got leaked, you know, that at any time Roe v. Wade could be overturned. Uh, I fasted that week. I fasted the very next day, you know, uh, so that I could really focus in on prayer. And I was specifically just so concerned because there's some crazy people in this country. We just saw a crazy demon-inspired act down in Texas where the guy shot up the school. Um, but I thought, you got to know there's somebody out there thinking, huh, so the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade, huh? And you, this person, as they crazily think, say, wait a second, if, if Roberts flips on that uh, like he's prone to do, then that makes 6354. And if I go kill a Supreme Court justice, it'll be 4-4. And then they won't be able to overturn it, you know. And I don't know if there's anybody out there thinking like that, but I immediately started praying and just in my spirit was praying and adding in and say, Lord, protect those people, protect the conservative Supreme Court justice, protect the liberal ones, and figure out who did it so he can be, you know, they can make an example of him, because this is not good for America that this is happening. And we see things come across us that aren't good for America. Uh, you know, this past week, there was uh, something came out that was both good and bad for the Southern Baptist Convention. It was good because I was among those at the convention last year that voted and saying, oh, no, executive committee, we're not going to let you police yourself. Uh, we need an independent investigation because uh, something just smells about the way y'all are handling things there. And it did turn out once the investigation was done, there were a few people uh, keeping sexual abuse victims from being responded to well. And now uh, that's going to go a lot better in the days to come. So it's humiliating, uh, and humiliation is a good time to go to the Lord in prayer and fasting and miss a meal or two and say, Lord, bring revival in our church and other churches like us. And this is not a case where we think, oh, this would be better at this time to be independent or non-denominational because 
you know, uh, bottom line is something can happen in an individual church, um, and many times some big problems come up in non-denominational or uh, independent Baptist churches too. Uh, what we're talking about is not wanting it to happen in a local church, but then also making sure a guy can't just jump and go to another church. So every uh, church and denomination has to deal with these things. And uh, right now is a time to seek the Lord's face. But getting back to fasting, when I fast, I experience a rumbly in my tumbly that keeps me praying, right? So let's say you miss a meal or two or three or a day or two or three, you know. I don't find corporate fasts of longer than three days in the scriptures. For uh, There was a seven-day one once because uh, they were mourning and didn't feel like eating. But be careful of these churches that say, together we're going to fast for 21 days or 40 days or something like that. It's just not modeled for us in the scripture. I see the longest individual fasts usually to be more like two or three days, although we know Jesus did, Elijah did, Moses did. But, uh, you know, certainly uh, some folks have some medical things they would want to talk to a doctor first. But for me, when I'm fasting and miss a meal or two, around that meal time, my stomach says, feed me. And it keeps saying, feed me. <laughs> it keeps saying, feed me. And what I always do is I say, okay, every time the stomach says, feed me, I'm going to keep praying about the thing that's heavy on my heart to pray for, right? Whether it's revival, awakening, uh, a sense of change coming, uh, etc. So um, I've often, now the reverse is true also, right? I've often experienced the reality that after a big meal, I feel like doing something other than praying. After you have a big meal, what do you feel like doing? Taking a snooze, right? And during, during the snooze time, you're definitely not praying, right? So fasting is a tool to help praying. It's not an end in itself. It's not a, oh, now God's, you know, I've got God. I got God twisted. To behind, I got his arm behind my back, and now he's really got to do. And some people have really presented it like that, and I think that's a shame. So when I'm fasting, I go back to the office, struggle to stay focused on spiritual things after eating. But when I fast, I find my spiritual sense is sharpening and many of my best impressions from the Holy Spirit come in a time of prayer combined with fasting. So if you do some of this, start out with just missing one meal or two. Um, you know, but as you do this, you might want to keep a little uh, pad of paper handy. Um, because as you study during that time, it's amazing some of the things with an alert mind the Lord will put on your heart as action items for your own life. He, he during that time, for me, has surprised me with, oh, I made a promise two years ago, and I didn't keep it. <laughs> I'm going to write that down and get that one checked off, you know. So I have found it's a way that God really um, uh, meets me and helps me um, you know, take care of some spiritual checklist things, you know, uh, and, you know, so part of its purpose is um, to get us ready for what God wants to say to us. Certainly, we see that happening with Daniel, don't we? In the, um, you know, he got the great uh, revelation of Daniel 9 after a uh, time of fasting and prayer, which is pretty cool. So we can draw a conclusion from this. Whatever other ministries God calls a Christian to, intercessory prayers to be one of their top priorities. So there's your word, top priorities. So let me just ask that question to have it hanging out there for you, to think about later um, when you're having your ice cream at 10 o'clock. <laughs> Do you view your prayer time alone and with others as ministry to the Lord? Man, if even just the few of us that are here tonight and whoever winds up listening later uh, on the podcast and stuff, 
if we came out of here with a mission each day to view our prayer time as ministry unto the Lord as we pray for ourselves and the things around us and in our lives, wow, that would really be transformative. Um, it's a high calling in our life. So a direct result of the prayer life of the church in Antioch was clear guidance from God. And that kind of a guidance is available to us today as well. Um, I'm amazed when it says in verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Um, you know, we've talked today about God speaking. And I have never heard God speak in an audible voice, but both as an individual and in prayer times with others, sometimes he's spoken and it was louder to me and to us than an audible voice. Sometimes that's been in the selection of the next mission focus, you know, or something like that, you know. And so when we pray as we should, we become better listeners to God, the Holy Spirit. So my guess is that during this time of prayer, the Lord laid it on the hearts of some of them to reflect on the words of Jesus about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I think the best prayer is fueled by scriptures that are meditated on. And I can see this church at Antioch praying and saying, you know, somebody just pausing and saying, Lord, back in Acts 1, I don't think they said it like that because the book hadn't been written yet, you know, but they said, you told the group praying uh, before you went to heaven, the group that was there with you, those that witnessed your ascension, you told them that after you left, they were going to receive power and they were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Lord, they did that with Jerusalem. You did that through them. And now by your grace, it's happened in Judea and Samaria. Despite the uh, efforts of... Um, People like Saul over here, you know. And Saul's like, yeah, I was part of that. Thank God he saved me, you know. Humility. Talking, praying. Sometimes in a group like that, you're praying up and then you look at each other and talk a little bit and pray. Um, and it kind of hit somebody in there. But Lord, we have not been obedient. We as Christians have not really gotten this thing to the uttermost parts yet. Now, you've, you've brought this thing to Antioch and you've bursted through the Jewish Christian scene to make sure there's Gentiles too. Lord, um, would you want to use us to do something about uh, this missionary need? And that's when the Holy Spirit just kind of on all their hearts saying, yeah, you know, we're, we're under that same command. We're all under the words he gave it as great commission in Matthew 28 and under Acts 1 there. And we are a uh, city, a church on the move with lots of happening. Our people represent the ends of the earth and things. Well, Lord, who should we send? Should we send uh, some of our leftovers? <laughs> no, no. You always ask us to give our best. Who's the best we got? And, uh, you know, there's Paul and Barnabas. Uh, oh, Lord, would you send me? Uh, Lord, in Isaiah, he said in response to your holiness and his vision of you, uh, he heard you say, Lord, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And uh, you can see, almost see Paul saying, Lord, if you send me, I'll go. It doesn't have to just be 
Tarsus that I know. I'll, I'll go wherever. And Barnabas saying, yeah, Lord, you can send me. And, and you can just see this kind of thing going on. Um, and the Holy Spirit so cleared them about sending out a team with their best members on it to reach the lost world. And because they prayed, heard, and obeyed, the next step of missionary activity was on. It's just a beautiful passage, you know. And uh, they were completely in one accord for the things that matter most to God. And God blessed them. And uh, I'm sure they, some of these other guys could handle teaching and raising up other teachers. And they said, okay, you know. And uh, we've got some good examples of this around us, you know. Uh, churches that have seen some of their staff members called out and go to be missionaries. Uh, a few years back, North Main sent a youth pastor somewhere. And uh, uh, Shermont, is it Shermont Baptist? Uh, yeah, Shermont Baptist has sent uh, one of their guys to be an IMB missionary now and some other things like that. And the Tabernacle's got a history of some of that too um, with uh, leaders going out and into the ministry. Um, we've got one example of that since I've been here, you know, and that is uh, Isaac and Corey Mooneyham, just about among the best folks we had, you know, and sending them out to be involved in pastoral work. And I remember some of the praying we did together, you know, as he took up that assignment. And uh, life is a series of temporary assignments. You never know when God's going to use part of us to be a blessing somewhere else in another part of town or around the world. Uh, we, you know, Aaron Haley going over to help lead music at Rivermont. And uh, I believe Scott Spaulding, who's going to speak here July 3rd, I think it is, is uh, looking in and trying to get an assignment somewhere in Tennessee and pretty close to that happening, which is pretty great. So very excited for him. So just to review before we close those experiences, experiencing God principles also, and how they relate to the church uh, uh, at Antioch. God has always worked around you. They clearly saw that, you know, God was bringing people to Christ. They had a unity among them. They Secondly, they, God pursues a love relationship with you that's real and personal. They felt that. Um, they uh, were each afire with love for God and for one another. Number three, God invites you to join him in what he's doing. They clearly understood that God meant what he said back in Acts 1 about going to the uttermost parts. And they're like, huh, if not us who were uniquely poised to do this. The church of Jerusalem's coming out of a famine and uh, there's persecution there that scattered everybody. They're not quite as big as they once were or whatever, you know, so we're in a good place to be involved in this. Number four, he speaks to you to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. We know he spoke to the Holy Spirit to them because we read that in verse two. Uh, we kind of figure they're reflecting on the Bible because of the truth that they were supposed to go. They're definitely praying. They're using circumstances, the unique equipping that Paul had as a um, man that uh, understood Greek culture as well as Hebrew culture. And, of course, through other believers, they're affirming this. They lay hands on them. They go. Number five, God's initiative in your life will lead to a crisis of belief. Um, you know, um, you have to go. They had to go from being part of a pretty great church experience there in Antioch. Barnabas had been part of a pretty good church experience in Jerusalem. They probably would have liked to have had him back there. And all of a sudden, he is making those adjustments like number six calls for to join God in what he's doing. You must make adjustments. And number seven, as you trust and obey God, you can and will experience more of him and his ways in your life. And that certainly is true for Paul and Barnabas on as they go. Um, I mean, Paul 
what if what if what if Paul had said, "No, I ain't going." <laughs> you know, uh, Antioch seems pretty good to me, or maybe my home city of Tarsus. You know, but I, I'm not going on this stuff. But but he felt the call of God, and he did go, and God grew him. Now, at his conversion. Jesus has said, I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer. And boy, did he ever suffer, you know. But also we get all those books of the New Testament because of Paul's obedience in his growing relationship. And God gives him the kind of uh, relationship with him that allows him to write 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, the great love chapter. And uh, so many other wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, chapters of the Bible. Well, let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.